0: Good morning. Friends, would you please bow your heads and join your hearts with mine in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day which you have made. Help us to rejoice and be very glad in it. Lead us now to your truth. And in that truth, set us free. Amen. True story. A man had lived a rather quiet, pedestrian, plain vanilla kind of life, and he wanted to reinvent himself and stake claim to a new identity. And so he decided to change his name. He was going to keep his first and his last names the same, but he wanted to change his middle name to Danger. Danger. He went through all the legal proceedings. He went to court and appeared before a judge. The judge slammed his gavel, and it was official. The man had a new middle name. On his way out of court, he was stopped by a bailiff. And the bailiff said, hey, there are two guys fighting in the parking lot. Uh, They were arguing in court, and things got so heated that I had to escort them out of the courthouse, so watch out. And the man looked at the bailiff and said, don't worry. Danger is my middle name. Friends, this parable is dangerous, the parable of the prodigal son. It's a well-known parable, maybe the best known of them all, and people often describe it with words like comforting, uplifting, encouraging. But if there's one word that I would use to describe it, it's dangerous. Danger is this parable's middle name. How so? Well, the danger is this. We have heard this story so many times that we're in danger of not hearing it at all. We think we know it. We think we get it and understand it. It's so familiar that we can recite it. And so we're in danger of turning off our brains and letting our minds drift because we think we know all there is to know about this story. In short, we have heard this story so many times that we're in danger of not hearing it at all. But if we sit up and pay attention, if we open our eyes and ears, our minds and hearts, if we open up all of our senses, then maybe, just maybe, we'll hear God speaking to us today. Uh, While I just told you a story about a man named Danger, and that story is true, The story that you're about to hear is truth. Listen. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. The son asks for his inheritance. And now, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to know that this is really odd. An inheritance isn't given before a person dies, but after. And yet, this son has the nerve, he has the gall to ask for his inheritance ahead of time before the father has passed away. And the son's intent isn't hard to see. It's very thinly veiled in saying, Give me the share of the property that's coming to me. What he's really saying is, Father, I wish that you would just hurry up and die. Father, I want your things but I don't want you. Father, I'm interested in what I can get from you and extract from you, but not being in relationship with you. To me, you're nothing more than a means to an end. I only care about you insofar as you can benefit me. I wish you would just hurry up and die. I want your things, but I don't want you. Well, this is offensive, even in this day and age. But in that day and age, man. You see, in the East, a supreme cultural value is respect for elders and obedience to authority. Respect for elders and obedience to authority is bedrock. Thus, to show such disrespect for an elder, to show rudeness like this toward an authority, would be scandalous. It would be absolutely appalling. And if this were to happen in real life, the father would be well within his rights to punish his son severely. In fact, he'd be expected to do so. It would be his responsibility to the community to do so. Because you can't raise a spoiled brat and then release that brat into into the world. No, the father had an obligation to discipline his son. But he doesn't even though his son's request would deeply offend him. It would bring shame upon him and shatter his heart. The father agrees to give the child his inheritance. The father breaks up the estate, the land, the livestock, the liquid assets, everything, and it's not just the family home that is broken apart. Really, that's the least of it. The family ties are broken apart. The boy divorces himself from the family. He disowns himself from the patriarch. He orphans himself from the father. Uh, There's a a TV show called Modern Family. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, One of the actresses is named Ariel Winter. And not in the TV show, but in her real life, Ariel Winter went through something called a legal emancipation. Before turning the age of 18 and reaching adulthood, She legally emancipated herself from her mother. For her own good reasons, she dissolved the family ties between her mother and herself. Well, it turns out that this modern family is really pretty ancient because in this parable, the younger son emancipates himself from the family, he disowns himself from the father. And so the family estate is torn apart, family ties are torn apart, the father's heart is torn apart, all because this boy is selfish. Well, the boy gathered up all of his things and he took a journey to a far country, and there he squanders his wealth in reckless pursuits. He spends his money and his days in licentious living. Well, Before long, all the money is gone. The fortune is spent. He just blows through everything, and famine comes to the land, and the boy falls on hard times. What does he do then? Verse 15. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to be fed with the pods that they ate. Now at this point, my friends, let's not forget that this young man is Jewish. Let's not forget that the person telling this parable jesus is a jewish rabbi and the audience is a jewish audience a group of strict law-abiding pharisees the young man in this parable is jewish and religious jews observant jews detest swine pork isn't kosher you see it goes against the Jewish dietary laws found in the Hebrew Bible. To this day, they have strict laws prohibiting the consumption of pork and even contact with pork. Uh, My family loves Martin's barbecue just down the way. Uh, I used to go there a lot with Tom Schuyler, Um, but even though Tom has moved, I still go there often with my wife and my son. We love it and we know We know that if we go to Martin's on a Saturday night, we have to get there before 5.30. Because across the street is Christ the King, Roman Catholic Church, and on Saturday night, Catholic mass ends at 5.30 p.m., at which time it seems like the whole congregation simply walks across the street for dinner. You see, Catholics have no prohibition against pork. But Jews, Jews do, they wouldn't even set foot in Martins, not even to eat beef brisket, Uh, maybe cultural Jews, but not religious observant ones, because there's pork in the kitchen, and there's pork in the table beside you, and there's pork across uh, the, the room in the roaster. You can't even be in the vicinity of pork. To religious Jews, observant Jews, no animal is so detestable as swine, and yet the young man is working with swine. He is jealous of the swine. He longs to fill his body with the pods that they eat. This tells us just how low the young man has sunk. Well, the boy comes up with a plan. Verse 17, I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a hired servant. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him over and over again. The young man launches into his prepared speech, but he can barely get a word out. The father yells to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Do y'all know Chris Cox? Uh, Chris Cox is our pastor to youth and their families. And if you don't know him, I think you should get to know him because he is an exceptional human being. Uh, Years ago, he took the parable of the prodigal son and he wrote a modern-day version of it, a short play or a vignette. And in Chris's modern-day retelling of this parable, a young man asks for his inheritance. And the father gives him his fortune, but the father goes with him to the airport. And when they get to the airport, the father hands his son a plane ticket. It's a plane ticket home. And he says, son, I love you, and you can always come home. Every day, the father goes to the airport, and he buys a plane ticket so that he can go past security and wait in the terminal. And there in the terminal, he stands, and he waits, and he's, he watches, and, and he's searching for his son. And every time a plane lands, he gets excited and hopeful because he thinks, maybe my son has come home. But at the end of the day, after the last plane has arrived, nothing. And so the father goes back the next day and he buys another plane ticket. And he goes into the terminal and he waits and he looks for his son. Same with the next day and the next and the next until finally, the father sees his son from across the terminal. And he runs and throws his arms around him and he rejoices and he introduces his son to everyone in the terminal, especially all the airport workers who now know the father because he's been there every single day for who knows how long. Friends, that is gospel. That is good news. But in the parable of the prodigal son, not everyone is so happy. The elder brother nears the house and he hears music and dancing and he sees the lights and he learns that his younger brother has come home, but the elder brother doesn't celebrate. He doesn't join the dance or go to the party. He never raises a glass of wine. He never even speaks to his younger son. doesn't say, hi little brother, welcome home. He doesn't do that. Well, after a while the father notices that someone important is missing from the party, his firstborn son. And so the father leaves the party. He exits the house and he goes out and he searches for his son and he, he scans the horizon and he sees in, a far, in the far distance, his older son standing beneath a tree with his back to the party. And the father goes. The father is the one who covers the distance between the two, but the son, he explodes in anger. Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Well, when the father responds to his older son, he has no hostility. He does not attack or guilt or shame. He does not return anger for anger. No, softly and tenderly, He calls him, son. Son, you are always with me. I carry you around in my heart everywhere I go. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And the story ends right there. Friends, this parable is so rich, it is so deep, it has so many meanings that are utterly profound, so many valuable lessons. Um, As I edited this sermon, I left so many things on the cutting room floor, things that I desperately want to share with you, but can't today. But I did save a couple of things that I must share with you on the topic of stewardship. So let's go. Number one is this. Before going home, the younger son prepares a speech that he plans to say to his father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. These words are true. Remember that the boy had disowned himself from the patriarch. He had emancipated himself from the father. He no longer had legal standing, legal status as a son in the family. So when he returns and says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, he's right. That's the first right thing that he has said in a very long time. But in order to survive, to put some food in his belly, he's willing to become a slave. He's willing to become a servant in his father's house. So number one, the boy is no longer a son, but he's willing to be a servant. Number two, the father will have none of it. He won't even consider the boy's request. The father embraces the son and says, quick, bring the best robe and bring a ring and put them on my son. These are items that are only fitting for a family member to wear. The father won't make the boy a servant or a slave. He'll restore him to the family. He'll restore the full status that the boy has as a son. So number one, the boy is no longer a son, but is willing to be a servant in his father's house. Number two, the father will have none of it. The father restores the boy to full sonship. But number three, and here's the kicker, There's a cost. Restoring the boy's status as a son comes with a certain cost. Let's take a look. When the older son goes into the party, the father goes, doesn't go into the party. The father goes out to him and he says, and listen carefully, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. The Father says this as a statement of his love. It is comforting and reassuring. Also, it is literally true. All that is mine is yours. It is legally true. All that is mine is yours. Everything that belonged to the Father would one day belong to the Son. Because the younger son had already taken his share, the older son had an airtight claim to the rest of the estate. And so when the fattened calf, the most valuable animal on the land, is killed, and the finest robe is taken and given to the boy, and the ring with the family crest is put on his hand, what do you think the older son feels? He feels like his father is stealing from him everything left in the house is legally the property of the older son. Though the father still has authority over it, it has already been pledged one day to the son. And so when the father says, son, all that is mine is yours, the elder son thinks, yeah, and you're taking my stuff and throwing it away. And for what reason? In order for the boy To become a son again, and not just a servant in the house, a price had to be paid. In one sense, the father paid it because he was still alive and had full authority over his property. But in another sense, the elder brother paid it because he lost valuable things that were pledged to him. The elder brother bore the cost, and he did so with great hostility with reluctance and resentment. In truth, he wouldn't have borne the cost at all had the father not stepped in. So, in the beginning of the sermon, I said that this parable is truth. And the truth is this. All of us have prodigal hearts. Whether we are selfish like the younger brother or selfish like the older brother, all we apples have fallen far from the tree. All of us are prodigals who aren't worthy to be called children of the Father. But when we go to the Father and say, make us servants in your house, the Father will have none of it. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He will not treat us as servants or slaves. No, he will only have us as his children. But in order for our status as sons in the family to be restored, Someone had to bear the cost. The true elder brother, the redemptive elder brother, the elder brother that the elder brother in the parable should have been, bore the cost. The true elder brother is Jesus Christ, the firstborn of all creation. He bore the cost, and he did so gladly willingly with joy for the joy set before him he endured the cross says the book of hebrews Uh, the apostle paul wrote two great treatises two great theologies having to do with uh, justification Uh, the way that we are given right standing, right relationship with God. One is the book of Galatians, a little bit shorter. The book of Romans, a little bit longer. But listen to what each one says, because I swear the parable of the prodigal son is in these words. In Galatians, Paul says, You are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir, And as an heir, one day you will share in all the wealth of God. And in the book of Romans, Paul says, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, like the fearful boy coming back to his father, wanting to be a slave. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we can call him Abba Father. Friends, when we understand the generosity of the Father, and when we understand the generosity of the Son, how can we not be generous ourselves? How can we not give freely and joyfully, wildly? When we come back to the Father and he puts his robe and ring on us, how can we not open our hearts? When the Father comes out to us, leaving the party, and says, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours, how can we not open our hands? How can we not stand and sing God's praise?